IndieCast is presented by Uproxx's Indie Mixtape. Hello everyone and welcome to IndieCast. On this show we talk about the biggest indie news of the week, we review albums, and we hash out trends. In this episode we make our indie rock predictions for 2023. My name is Stephen Hyden, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host. He's been waiting three weeks to talk about the night Maddie Healy hung out with Trey Anastasio. Ian Cohen. Ian, how are you? you? See, you got it all wrong. Steve's been waiting three weeks to talk to me about the night Trey Anastasio hung out with Maddie Healy. So It's true. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's both of us. We've been waiting a long time. There were a lot of things that happened over the Christmas break, the holiday break, the Hanukkah break, the Kwanzaa break, whatever your holiday is. That we wanted to talk about. I had to mention the Maddie Healy Trey Anastasia thing. And I don't even know all the details of this. I just know that, like, I think this was maybe right before Christmas or right after my Instagram messages blew up <laughs> with photos. It's the same photo of Trey Anastasio and Maddie Healy backstage. It, it was at a Bleachers concert? It's the Ally Coalition talent show, which, you know, I think was more or less like a Bleachers-type uh, tribute thing. I mean, it is so hard to keep all of the artists who got involved in this you know, straight because I think that Trey joined Bleachers for a cover of Blood Buzz Ohio. But, <laughs> wow. But then, yeah, I know. Like, Maddie Healy was not involved in that one, but apparently, like... At the end, you could see this picture of, like, Trey playing his guitar and, like, Maddie Healy, like, just dourly hunched over an acoustic guitar. And then Wise Blood and Lucy Dacus and Phoebe Bridgers are there and they're covering uh, a Jackson Brown song. Or, no, it's a Jackson a song Jackson Brown wrote for Nico. Oh, these days? Yes, that one. Um, You know, I'm just imagining, like... Someday one of us gets in a terrible accident and they have to have like a like a we are the world type fundraiser. And I think it would look exactly like this. You'd have Trey, you got Maddie Healy, you have Jimmy Nico from uh, ours there. You did you got the Matthew first, Bellamy. You did the first hours reference of twenty twenty three. I bet you didn't have that on your bingo card. All the IndyCast characters, they come together, they have the headphones on, they're singing into one microphone. <laughs> Like a benefit song for us, I I just picture that like the, the, like this scenario. It it's so wild. Um, I mean, does Maddie Huey listen to the show? Do you think there's any possibility that he's like, oh, I will pose with this photo. I'll pose in this photo with Trey Anastasio, which will make sense to nobody <laughs> except for the people that listen to IndieCast. In in that universe, it will make sense. It won't make sense to anyone else. I, I'm always surprised and like really flattered when I hear any musician listens to IndieCast. So like, uh, I'm not thinking like, oh, of course, you know, they're the one of the guys from Dirty Hit is whispering in Maddie's ear about you know these like tiny, tiny gestures that he can make to keep in our good graces, like. I mean, we haven't even talked about the fact that Maddie posts on his um, Instagram stories uh, them sound checking never meant, <laughs> which I know they really like fuck with American football. But um, I, I just I haven't been able to let go of like the possibility of like one of us faking our own death in 2023 to get the to get that IndyCast tribute show going on. I think that's the direction yeah. we need to go to. But I don't know it if he happen. listens to us, but like if I were. If I were in a PR company, I would just like really just get deep into the most influential writers, like see how they tick. And it's like, hey, man, this will take you five seconds of your time to do, but you will forever be, you know, in, in, indebted to, I don't know, like the New York Times or Pitchfork or whatever. It's probably pretty easy. We're, we're, we're yeah, easy I mean, marks. Yeah. Yeah. Music critics are like easily flattered. You know, that's like why Taylor Swift. You know, she'll go on her Instagram and post thank you notes <laughs> to critics who write nice reviews of her record. Like, I think she did that for Lover. Yeah, the one that was like and a couple was, albums ago, not like not like folklore, but whatever one was before that. It was like after Reputation, so maybe she felt like I got to shore up my critical support here and just pander to these easy marks in the press. Mm -hmm. You know, by posting these thank you notes, she also had this run. 
where she was posing with critics for photos. Yes. At the, uh, it was like this backstage, like meet and greet type deal or like the reputation. I think it was called the reputation room. Yeah. That, that's not a good look. You can't be doing that. Um, yeah, you know, we're doing predictions in this episode. This isn't going to be a prediction for me. I'm just throwing out a trial balloon here to see if Maddie Healy is listening. If Maddie Healy is listening, go on tour with Goose this year. Hell yeah. All right? That is the code. So if we see a Goose 1975 tour, that will be the confirmation that he's listening. So we'll, we'll see if that happens. Yeah. Uh, the 1975 are always about like reappropriating this like uncool music, but like so much of like what they think is uncool is actually cool now, like eighties pop and like, you know, like uh 2000s emo Maddie got to go jam band. That's the final frontier. Yeah. Yeah. Either that or like the nineties, uh, sort of like crunchy, <laughs> Bands, you know, like those horror tour, those discourse recently. 1975 yeah. horror tour. I would really love to hear that album, like like a John Popper <laughs> harmonica solo on the next 1975 record, which I could I actually hear see happening. <laughs> yeah, that isn't even that outrageous, you know. This that's like that squeaking harmonica <laughs> where Popper had didn't Popper have like the vest? He had the of bolero, but like he also has like a lot of guns. That guy like is like a known gun nut, so. Yeah, yeah. Popper, if you're listening, <laughs> all the respect to you, all right? No disrespect at Not all. Not at all. Um, something else that happened over the break I wanted to talk to you about, because we would have talked about this if we were doing shows, but there were a couple interviews that dropped that were just fantastic. Mm. One was Courtney Love on Mark Marin WTF, where... I likened it to the uh, Sister Christian scene from Boogie Nights, <laughs> where it, it, it's just it, it, where a person's just. I'm not saying she was on coke, but it seemed like she was on something, just talking a mile a minute, and it's kind of stressful, <laughs> you know, hearing this person like and kind of ranting, but she was just talking shit about Brad Pitt and David Fincher and Ed Norton. And even like Kurt Cobain, she called him Kurt the Runer. Just went off. Did you listen to that? Uh, Gosh, I I did not. Not. I mean, I could. You almost didn't have to because people were talking about it. Like all the best parts got aggregated. Yeah, I feel like it's like Avatar in that. Like you know, I don't want to spend three and a half hours of my life, but like if I kind of get the gist of it from Twitter, I feel I'll be just as satisfied and able to participate in like the current narrative. It, it it's it's stressful listening to it. I it made me nervous. Just like someone who talks really fast with a lot of intensity, uh, you know, it's 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 just like being shot up with a bunch of caffeine, <laughs> like secondhand caffeine or something. The other interview was my boy Bob Dylan did an interview with Wall with the Wall Street Journal that was later expanded on his own website. He posted a transcript of this interview. Apparently, this was like an email interview oh, Lord. that he did. So there's like speculation that he didn't even write this uh interview but i want to believe that he did because he talks in the interview about how he saw metallica in concert twice he refers to noel and liam gallagher as the oasis that brothers rules so hard like that's so intentional it's i you know he knows their name <laughs> and then he he talks about how he enjoys the klaxons yes like this among like other kind of like not like, kind of this, like, a uh, space between landfill indie and, like, uh, whatever they were called, like, new rave music. Like, I, I'm i dying to know how Bob Dylan came across uh, Myth of the Near Future in 2007. But, by the way, I listened to that album, like, the other day. Fucking awesome. We are, that is definitely an IndieCast Hall of Fame type record. Um, I can't even picture, like, what do they sound like? I can't, I don't remember <laughs> Claxons at all. I gotta say. Uh, they, it's like, like, like kind of like, like use at like triple speed, but with more like rave, rave sirens and glow sticks. It rules Ooh. so hard. Like they have like Thomas Pynchon, like they have a song called Gravity's Rainbow. They have a whole lot of like very arcane <laughs> references in their music, but it sounds like, uh, it just sounds like 2007, you know, deep V-neck American apparel shirts, UK hype, fucking awesome music. Yeah, I mean, again, I want to believe that Bob Dylan did this himself. Uh, but 
I could definitely see a scenario where one of his assistants wrote it for <laughs> one him. One of his 12 but, assistants. <laughs> but whoever wrote that, the idea of Bob Dylan loving the Claxons is such a great reference. Like, how many bands did, did he go through or they go through before they landed on the Claxons? <laughs> like, like did, like, did he flirt with the idea of, like, you know... I don't know. I'm trying to think of another band from that. The Pigeon Detectives. Does it offend you? Or, yeah, this is like, this is my territory. <laughs> like, like was there a draft where he loves British sea power? Yeah. You know, like was was that the band? Because <laughs> Claxons, it's such a great reference. Yeah, there. It's so uh, much better so, to me than like people getting all like hyped up when they find out like some you know big pop star likes you know Alex G or something like that. It's like oh my god, like. Big boy loves Kate Bush. It's like, yeah, it's like one of the most popular artists on earth. I love it when it's reversed, when you have like someone who's like old and crusty, just like B-level artists. Bob, I fucking love Bob Dylan's interviews, man. Well, I mean, that was the thing about these interviews is that it just reinforced the idea that 99% of musician interviews now, even like with great musicians, like are not that interesting. You know, they're interesting if you're into the artist and you want to know how they made a record or how they wrote a song, but just like the musician who approaches an interview as performance art, which I think in a way is what Courtney Love and Bob Dylan mm-hmm. both do. And they're cut from that like 20th century mold of, of pop stars. Like that's what interviews used to be. You know, not the more sort of PR managed situation right. that you often get now. And I was trying to think of like, okay, so in the last, like, say, 20 years, I think the best example of that was Kanye West. Mm-hmm. Like, when Kanye West was at his peak, you looked forward to his interviews because, like, his interviews were events, you know. And this, I'm not saying anything about what, what he is now. It's like night and day. But, like, back in the day, it was great to read Kanye West interviews. Father John Misty, I think that was true of, like, on obviously a smaller scale. But, like, who, like, what was the last great musician interview with, like, a, like a contemporary musician? Like, I, I can't think of one. Yeah, we're going to need to go to the mailbag for that one. Because, like, I mean, first off, like, Bob Dylan and, like, Courtney Love. I mean, the, what I thought of with these is, like, how come Courtney Love isn't doing, like, a constant podcast, like, you know, Krusty and the Alkali Flats after he gets kicked off of TV? Like, how much, how like, how long would Courtney Love have to be podcasting constantly before she runs out of stories? Like, I love, I love the balance of this. Because- a long time. A long time. Because her whole, her whole life is, is, she talks in that Marin interview about how her dad, uh, who was associated with the Grateful Dead back in the day? Like gave her LSD as as a kid. Yeah, you know, like it's not just that. Oh, her life got interesting when she met Kurt Cobain. Like her her whole life mm-hmm. uh, is 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 crazy. So I think she could get a good hundred episodes mm-hmm. in before she's like running out of material. Yeah, I love that. Like everything that she says in her interview, you can absolutely one hundred percent believe, and like everything that Bob Dylan <laughs> says in that interview, like maybe five percent of it is true. It's like it, we 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 love both angles here. Oh yeah, I, you know, yeah. I, I gotta say, musicians, if you're listening, just make up a we're, bunch we're of addressing, shit. Yeah, we're addressing the musicians in the audience a lot in this episode already. But yeah, like you, make up some stuff. You know, if you feel like. I don't have a lot of good making of the album anecdotes this cycle. Inter- you know, talk about the Claxons. Talk about your dad giving you LSD as a kid. That's what we want as a music journalist here. It'd be very helpful for us. Um, I feel like we have to talk about some release news mm-hmm. this week. And uh, it's two Ian Cohen punching bags <laughs> are putting out records in the months ahead the first is Mac DeMarco. He's putting out a instrumentals record. It's called Five Easy Hot Dogs. <laughs> you know, he's like he's setting himself up with that one. But, you know, God bless Mac DeMarco. I like Mac DeMarco. Yeah. Like, you, you and I diverge on that. Um, that record's coming out in a few weeks. I don't know if we, we... That might be the excuse to do a Mac DeMarco episode. Because it's not like we have a ton of material this month. Yeah. 
So I, I don't know. Cause, I mean, this record, I don't... He hasn't put out like a full-fledged record. Since 2017, I think. Cause Is that right? I think so, because I like that one song he did, My Old Man. Um no, he had he had the cowboy record. Oh that. right, the fucking Mitski, uh, the 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 like Mitski gate where like nobody else in the world was allowed to use the word cowboy after after Mitski's 2018 album. Holy fuck, what a memory hold that is! I you yeah he shout to you he Steve. got screwed over yeah because I, I was gonna say like six years that that seems like, here comes the cowboy there it is is the Mac DeMarco record be the cowboy was Mitski um. <laughs> But so there's that record, and then my boys, the Hold Steady, they have a record coming out. Uh, I, I believe in March. Mm-hmm. I'm googling as I'm typing here. What kind of Hold Steady? Just to stand confirm, are you when you don't know the exact. Well, I don't know off the top of my head here. I don't. I don't know off the top of my head. It's uh, the record is called "The Price of Progress." It comes out March 31st, and uh, it marks their 20th anniversary. How crazy is it that the Hold Steady's been around for 20 years? It, now that that's a little strange to me they've always sounded like they've been around for 20 years like i almost well, that's the thing yeah. i almost feel like now like with both of these acts um you know now that i have like enough distance from the stuff that annoyed me about the conversation surrounding them i feel like both of these are artists i'm like open to reassessing like i love a i, I love a buy low uh you know scoop up right here because like you know now that like not every single person i see on the street in la is dressed like mac demarco with like the the flannel and the carhartt and the you know the pack of like uh cigarettes uh, maybe i'll fuck with them i don't know but like five easy hot dogs and instrumental album i just I, this is like a brain in a jar like ai mac demarco piece of news for us <laughs> i mean i am intrigued by the instrumental album in the sense that I think there's always been a disconnect between Mac DeMarco's music, which is very pretty and often sentimental, and his persona, which is this snarky, bratty type thing. And it's always been interesting to me how those line up, because I feel like how people respond to him often doesn't have much to do with his music. You know, Mm -hmm. like, it's him doing antics on stage and stuff. And that's what sticks in people's minds, especially the people who don't like Mac DeMarco, but his songs are often like, his songs are like really heartfelt and sincere. And I, I don't know. It's just an inter- it's always been an interesting combination with him for me. As far as the hold steady, you know, they've had like a really nice run after, I don't want to say they broke up, but they, they went into that hiatus in the 2010s. And then France Nicolet came back and they put out, you know, I think this is the third record they've put out since he came back to the band. And they just had like a nice run. They do these like weekend stands, places they don't like tour regularly. It seems like they've got like a nice setup. They're not burning themselves out. Um, I mean, there was kind of, I mean, you were talking about the Hold Steady Online this week. Mm-hmm. Taking some shots. Yeah. I don't know if I took some shots. I just said that like, yo, like this band is... Uh, we've talked about this in previous episodes. Like I am like dead center of the demographic that should like the whole setting. There's just something I just cannot grasp, but like, I understand why people love them. Like I can, you can never say that like the appeal of the hold steady escapes me only that you recognize the appeal and that like it has absolutely no interest for you. Like it's, I mean, they're not a band. I look at where it's like, how the fuck are they as popular as they are? Is it the fan base that, Turns people off. Of course, I, yeah. it's always yeah, it's I mean, always yeah. the fan base. That's it's like we never <laughs> ever talk about music here. Like all conversations about music, or at least ninety percent of it, is just like this way to launder your disdain for like the people who like them. I mean, I think there's a caricature of what a hold steady fan is, and I find when I talk to people who don't like them, well, one they don't like Craig Finn's voice. Mm-hmm. You know, Craig Finn. That's a polarizing aspect probably of the band and then there's like this caricature of like the person that listens to the hold steady that that seems to be a sticking point with people who can't stand that band so i don't know i understand i'm like that i'm like that with other bands so i can't really knock it but i yeah i've uh, i'm a fan of the hold steady i've loved them for a long time i've enjoyed their recent records i have every reason to believe that this record will be good too 
Craig Finn making good solo records. Craig Finn showing up at the War on Drugs, Drug Semper. Yeah. Shows, they did a set with, it wasn't a whole set, but they did like four songs with Craig Finn, including Against the Wind. Ooh. Bob Seger, <laughs> which is, you know, talking about pandering <laughs> right. to our show. You don't get more pandery than that. Ex- um, except for the War on Drugs drummer producing a Christmas album with members of the Philadelphia Eagles and also some guys from the Hooters. Like that, oh, that might yeah. be more, that might be even more pandering. That might be the most pandering thing that we've talked about this entire episode. Shout out to Charlie Hall, by the way. He might be listening. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Hall. He's a friend. He's a friend of the show. Listening in his kimono there in Philadelphia. That's how I'm imagining it. Uh, let's get to our mailbag segment. Thank you all for writing into the show. We got a bunch of emails over the break. I think at some point we need to do a mailbag episode. We're going to need yeah. it. <laughs> let's be real here. The next two months are, are, there's not a, a ton of like big ticket releases coming up. Um, if you want to hit us up, we're at indiecastmailbag at gmail.com. Ian, you want to read this letter? By the way, I, I edited this letter down because it was a long okay. letter. So oh. shout out to Kevin from New Jersey who wrote us. We're not answering everything in the letter, just like part of it. Because mm-hmm. uh, we have a lot to get to in this episode. But Ian, why don't you go ahead? Sure. So, hey, Steve and Ian, uh, the recent news of the sidekicks officially disbanding RIP in recent news, meaning like, you know, during the Christmas break, uh, got me thinking. On a recent pod, there was an interesting mailbag question about trying to identify the modern day Velvet Underground, a true band's band. I think you both offered up Dive and Spirit of the Beehive, which were sensible nominees. But I remember listening and immediately thinking the obvious answer was the sidekicks. It seems like every active band in their scene either rooted for the sidekicks, enjoyed the sidekicks, or revered the sidekicks. To me, their legacy will be defined by how beloved they were by their contemporaries. And I think that's a really cool legacy. Kevin from New Jersey. Yeah, we were we would have talked about this in our banter segment, but I knew we had this letter about the sidekicks. So it's a good opportunity to talk about this band who broke up. I think they announced the breakup like right after our last episode posted. Yeah. So it was, I think it was about a week before Christmas that this was announced. Um, and we should just say, because there's people who probably have no idea who this band is. They're, they're a band from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, they were active. Uh, well, they formed in like the mid two thousands and they were active throughout the 2010s. Uh, would you call them an emo band? I mean, they were sort of in that scene. They're kind of like in the space between like, Poppy-ish punk and emo, although I I feel like they just sound like a straightforward rock yeah. band. I mean, they evolved into one, but the scene of which they emerged out of can be, you know, like Joyce Manor or Tiger's Jaw, that sort of fan base. I mean, I saw them, uh, they did a show uh, with um, this four-band bill. It was them, Into It, Over It, Pine Grove, and The World is a Beautiful Place, and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die in 2016. So, you know, they, right, they, were, amongst, they were amongst... That uh, that very cursed tour, um, it, and I remember I saw them for the first time uh, opening for Against Me. Oh yeah, uh, yeah during like the transgender dysphoria yeah, blues 2014, era. Yeah, so that would have been like around Awkward Breeds yeah. when that record came out. Yeah, or closer to Runners in the Nerved World. So yeah, they were on Epitaph. You know they. They, uh, they, they are. A bit, I think this kind of gets to why uh, they never quite got their due. It was really just hard to assess like where they really belonged. Um, they, they kind of appealed to a lot of people, but like also weren't of any scene. Which you know, it can be a great thing for a band, but can also be like what gets them uh, kind of stuck in this uh, bands band sort of uh, deal. I mean, like how how long have you been just kind of a, like I know you were into them when. Uh, runners in the nerve world came out but like i mean just as like this midwest you know as a midwestern kind of power pop band like how long have you been aware of them it was awkward breeds was the first record i remember hearing so that was that that was 2012 Mm -hmm. so about 10 years ago and they did have that trajectory where the records got gradually I don't want to say slicker, but like less rocking, probably, you know, slicker, less rocking, you know, pretty natural uh, evolution for a band as they come along and, and, and everyone gets a little bit older. Um, yeah, they're, they're this band that I think, again, like if you were in that scene, they did seem like a major touch tone band, but then if you were not 
of that scene, like you'd have no idea who this band was. Mm. And it's interesting because like they don't seem to have had that thing where people get uh, obsessive about them in the same way that they do about a band like Joyce Manor, yeah. for instance. I feel like they have like a real culty audience. And the sidekicks just seem like, oh, they're a good band. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if they were like serious sidekicks heads <laughs> out there. I never got that sense. So I don't know. It's like they're, they're totally a band, though, that I think could have crossed over because they're... Th- because again, I, I feel like they were just a straightforward rock band. You know, they're not a band like the Hotel Year, for instance, which are a total emo band. Mm-hmm. And like, you have to be invested in emo, I think, really to love them. And if you are turned off by certain aspects of that kind of music, you're not going to connect with it. Like with the Sidekicks, I think it'd be possible to listen to them and not even know that they were connected to that. Yeah. That they're just a, like a nice Midwestern rock band that puts out cool songs. Yeah. Like, they could have been that kind of band, but they just, for whatever reason, didn't get that kind of exposure. Well, I mean, you know, Runners in the Nerved World was produced by Phil Eck, you know, a guy who's done, like, Band of Horses and The Shins and, you know, Built to Spill. And so, uh, you know, if that record had come out on, say, you know, like Polyvinyl or whatever instead of Epitaph, you know, perhaps there would have been a lane there. But, like you mentioned, the hotel year, like, yeah, I definitely can understand why people are not into that band, but also, like, you have, because they are so emo, like, it makes sense that, like, people are, you know, who love the hotel year, like, really love the hotel year. They kind of, you know, like, the sidekicks, they just make great songs, which I think gets them the admiration of their peers, because, you know, like, they're, they see, they're good people, they make good songs, like, why aren't they more popular? And in a way, they kind of lack that cult of personality that makes him translate like you know similar to Joyce Manor like Joyce Manor uh band that was like much easier to meme their lyrics I mean like they you know Joyce Manor kind of blew up on Tumblr because it was easy to like quote their songs and uh you could post you know footage of their shows the songs are short they're fast but the you know sidekicks are a little more mid-tempo and so um yeah I mean this is just how shit goes sometimes there's this special sauce that goes into make you know tr- having a band transcend like being good to being great or being beloved and you know uh, we with the sidekicks they just make great songs and you know yeah. I can't imagine I can kind of imagine a world where they were you know as big as everyone wants them to be but like kind of similar to Symbols Eat Guitars like another band that it has that same sort of reputation I also understand like why they never quite transcended the um you know the the same 10 people raving about their album every single time yeah i mean it's a dumb thing to say but it is true that like just making great songs like sometimes isn't enough Mm -hmm. that there has to be something else that people latch on to that they project onto those great songs that puts you to that next level and it is so stupid. Like I don't know why it is why that's true, but I but it is. It's it totally is true. So anyway, R.I.P. Sidekicks. Mm-hmm. I think that they are a band where again, if you just if you're just looking for like a good straightforward Midwestern rock band, they totally fit the bill. Awkward Breeds again was the record that got me into them, and it's the record I would recommend to someone who's never heard the band before check that out i was listening to it this morning before we started recording holds up just a really good record so the band is gone but the music is still here so definitely check it out all right let's get to the meat of our episode here as i said at the beginning we are going to be doing predictions for indie rock or indie adjacent yes <laughs> indie cast Shit <laughs> you know we talk how we define about. indie rock <laughs> yeah Predictions for 2023, and we have a couple ground rules for this, right? Mm. There's a couple things that we're not going to touch. Yeah, we're we're like trying to get the good vibes going in 2023, so no deaths, no cancellations. Like, those will happen <laughs> on their own, and we don't want to, like, wish that upon anyone. And also, right. just a clarification to the audience, like, this is what we think is going to happen, not necessarily what we want to happen. Yeah, well, in one case, it's something that I want, and it's yeah. probably my most far-fetched prediction but like the other two things definitely something i think will happen and i feel actually very confident in my predictions uh do you feel confident in yours i I feel pretty confident in 
all three of mine. Like, I mean, I I don't know how much I want them to happen, but like, I I feel like uh, we're not going to look back on this episode a year from now and think like, God, I was way the fuck off. Yeah, yeah. If we miss, it won't be by much. No. I and there might be some version of what of what we're predicting will happen this year, but I think the crystal ball is strong here on IndieCast. So let's get to it. Yeah. What is your first prediction for 2023? Um, you know, at, we're doing a little bit of, even though uh, Steve was the one on Paul Feinbaum's podcast, I'm the one kind of in college football mode right now. You know, hopefully mm-hmm. by Monday, Georgia will be, uh, you know, two-time national champions and everyone will start doing their way too early top 25, um, you know, which like doesn't take into account like transfer portal and like people leaving for the NFL draft. But nonetheless, you can kind of tell who's going to be like number one next year and you know, I feel you know, that, we haven't done we could have done sports cast actually have. at the top of the episode because you've got Georgia yes. in the title you know the, your boys mm-hmm. where you went to school and the Green Bay Packers back. surging back. The pack is back baby <laughs> and we might be in the playoffs here. Literally coming back from the dead here. Clawing our way out of the grave. Can't believe it. So happy. Anyway, yes. that's a short sports cast. <laughs> Let's get back to IndyCast yes. here. What is your first prediction? Yeah, so I have a pretty good idea of like what's going to be the number one albums for 2023. And, you know, I got to split this up between like the pop division and like the indie division. So, and also like kind of along the lines of like the way too early top 25, I've not heard any single piece of new music from these artists. I assume they're coming out this year, but... Um, I think the album, like this year's Beyonce, this one's like across the board, number one album, like across publications is going to be Rihanna and not just because of the Super Bowl halftime show, um, you know, throughout the year end list making season, you, there are people still making the straw man argument about like how, you know, this was the year that like R and B toppled, you know, the, the national and LCD sound system, like something you know, the, the that kind of idea of, like, what music critics actually like hasn't been true at least since 2017, you know. Pop, or longer yeah. than that. But, like, definitely Ugh. since 2017, like, slight, like, pop and to a, you know, slightly artsy R&B is, like, really the true north. And, like, since... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, that cliche about, like, the Brooklyn hipster yeah. who likes Arcade Fire and the National, like... No, that that person <laughs> likes, you know, just arcane, arty R and B music. Exactly. You know, from the indie world. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they're listening to. Yeah, and not like that kind of stuff. And you know, of all the A listers from this world, like Rihanna is the only one who hasn't dropped since 2016. And you know, her last album is kind of seen as like I don't know, maybe this generation, the Velvet Rope, which you know has become like a real touchstone for indie artists. Um, you know, it was like kind of daring, maybe not as commercially successful as the past stuff. And so, um, I think the, also the reason that I predict Rihanna to be number one is that like, you know, even if the, you know, music aside, she hasn't been like over covered or like obsessed over by like, you know, corny, uh, you know, corny, (laughs) like basic people in the same way that like, you know, Rihanna or something like that. Like Lena Dunham has never tweeted about how she wishes Rihanna was president, um, which, you know, now that I think about it, she actually did that with Solange, not Beyonce. Um, But there's this strange sense that like Rihanna is somehow underrated by critics, which is this like kind of mutant thing that has evolved in modern music criticism where like you can say that Rihanna, one of the most celebrated pop stars in the universe, is like underrated because her last album got like a seven six at Pitchfork or something like that. So I think the the car the the pins are set up for Rihanna to basically knock it down, uh, even if she just puts out anything. So again, this is all based on like what how I know the machinery works. Nothing at all to do with the music, um, which also kind of leads me in a weird way to the you know, this year's always, I guess, like the band that just uh, is either like at number one on pure indie sites or like number three everywhere else. And that's Wednesday. Um, You know, they are like always, they're still kind of ascendant, still kind of viewed as having been underappreciated. You know, their previous album hadn't been like hyped up too much in real time, you know, and they seem like a good hang and they appeal to Zoomers. They're signed to Dead Oceans. Um, And, you know, I... 
I, I see this being like kind of a newish indie band, like a band, not like, you know, an artist who's like, you know, functioning as a band. This is like a real throwback for me, you know, like I feel as if this is going to be the closest we get to like a 2005, this 2007 type hype band. Um, and you know what, if, uh, they get to not, if, if they kill it in 2023, certain people will not be very happy. <laughs> I think you know what I'm talking about, but, um. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think that this one, again, I haven't heard a note of their music, but it seems like a pretty chalk pick. See, okay, I agree a hundred percent about Rihanna. I think she's gonna have to put out like a record, like the last Kendrick album, to not be number one. It's got, it's gonna have to be like a real curveball or like a real miss mm-hmm. for her not to get there. But I think there's so much goodwill, and it does seem like. That's the kind of record that tops year end list now. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like Beyonce was really sweeping a lot of these lists, I feel like Rihanna will be in that same lane. So yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I actually disagree about Wednesday because there's a there's something about that band, and I'm saying this as a fan of that band, and I'm saying this as you know I'm like a MJ Lenderman stan. He was tied for my number one album of the year, but I saw this a little with MJ Lenderman too. I, I wouldn't liken Wednesday to uh, always. I would liken them to like Big Thief, ah. where there's a lot of critics that like Big Thief, but Big Thief is also kind of polarizing for that reason. Hmm. There's people that don't like them because you can look at their press photos, for instance, and say like, well, these are like this, like, like this hippie band and, you know, and all the ingrained biases that are against that. And I think there's certain elements of Wednesday that I think... What people don't like about Big Thief, you could transfer that to Wednesday. And I could see that album. And again, we're totally prognosticating <laughs> here based on hearing no music at all. But I could see that album getting a big review from Pitchfork. And then, say, like the New York Times reacting against that review. And like John Karamanica going on podcasts and <laughs> being like, I don't understand why people see, like this kind of music. I- like, I, I see that happening. I, More than always, because I think always is the kind of band they just cross a lot of different uh, demographics. You know, like they're they're a band that young people like because they relate to Molly Rankin, what she's writing about in her lyrics. But there's also something kind of retro about their music, mm-hmm. so older people can get into it. There's nothing really offensive about Always. You know, like you can't really get upset about anything that they do. Whereas Wednesday already has proven. (laughs) And again, I say this as someone who likes Wednesday a lot. I'm a fan of that band. But I do see people get weirdly upset at them. So I just don't think that they, I I just think there's an element of them that isn't, uh, it's not going to unify the different groups in a way that Always does. So so yeah, I, I think I dispute that. Maybe it'll do well at Pitchfork, but I could see other people reacting against that. I just assuming the record's great, yeah. and it gets great reviews in this imaginary scenario that we're talking I just about. I want to point now. out one thing: you compared to the Big Thief, like what I am like based on MJ Lenderman's album. Like I imagine if like we were to somehow be in the same space, we talk about yeah, you know, like sports and wrestling and jackass whereas like if i were in the same room as like big thief we would all like hold hands in a circle and talk about like the last time we felt touched by the great spirit of the sky like they they just strike me as like very very different hangs well in terms of the hangs yeah yeah, but i think in terms of like who will like that band and who won't i think it's a similar breakdown and i i do think that they will be more polarizing than a band like always which again i think there's nothing really offensive about them. You know, that's why they do so well. And they're also a great yeah. band. But uh, they're kind of impossible to hate. And people have already found reason not to like Wednesday for reasons that I think are, like, pretty stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they exist nonetheless. Um, my first prediction, and I'm going on a limb here because I am going to pronounce a name I've butchered many times on this show. <laughs> and I'll probably butcher it again here. Sky Ferreira? You got it. You nailed that. Boom. Boom, baby. Sky Ferreira. Masochism. Long delayed album. Will not come out in 2023. 
We've been talking about this record for a long time. I think it was on Stereo Gums, most anticipated albums of the year list, which is like a running bit at this <laughs> point to keep putting that on the list. But she put out a single last year, which was not very well received. I feel like it's in that zone with the Wrens record, uh, the, the like, at least the Charles Bissell yeah. part of the Wrens record. I feel like it's in that zone where maybe it's never going to come out. You know, or if it comes out, it'll be rush released in a Dropbox, and you're gonna download it. You know, but I, I just don't think that record's gonna come out this year. I hope it comes out eventually. You know, I was thinking about how, you know, 2023. It's the 10 year anniversary of that class of indie pop stars that we've often talked about on the show, which includes Haim, the 1975 Lord. They all put out their debuts that that year. Um, You also had Nighttime, My Time, the last Guy Ferreira record, which is like my favorite record of that group. Mm -hmm. And you could look at it and say, well, she's had like, she's like the one artist out of those four that hasn't really had a great career since then. But that's still like my favorite record of that, of that class. Yeah. And so I, so I want masochism to come out. But I don't think it will come out yeah. in 2023. It's like the Dear Tom. It's like kind of a Dear Tommy, like that Chromatics album where, you know, you could conceivably do have, see it come out. But I think that you mentioned out of all the 2013 freshman class, like she's had like, I don't know, not the maybe like the least uh, mainstream career, but I think it's the right kind of career. <laughs> I think that, you know, her silence for the most part uh, has kind of burnish the reputation of nighttime my time um you know which i think I, I like that album i think it's a bit uneven but yeah I, I i think that just the way she's kind of gone about things has really just enlivened the legend of it and i i'm really looking forward to the 10 like this is going to be every single publication on earth is going to do a 10-year piece on this one so um yeah and also the charles from the wrens i mean like he 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 posted a whole bunch of stuff over the break about like how this album is coming out and sub pop is really nice, but like, it's not coming out on sub pop. It's again, like just, uh, just put it out. So I don't have to read these posts and get my hopes up. Well, I was thinking I did a story for Grantland oh, wow. on that album. And I think it's going to be the 10 year anniversary of that story this year. I bel- I'm pretty sure that was 2013 that I wrote that piece. And at the time I called it the Chinese democracy of indie rock. And that was 10 years yeah, except ago. Chinese democracy <laughs> actually came out. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And I remember at that time, it seemed like it was like 75% done or whatever. And, and here we are. So, and I'll just say like, I hope masochism comes out. I hope the Charles from the Wrens record comes out. I just don't know if it's going to come out this year. So that's my prediction. What's your second prediction? All right, so it's kind of wild that I'm making this prediction a year and a half after uh, Turnstile's Glow On actually came out. But I think that we're, in 2023, we're going to fully realize the impact of that album. Like, we're going to be living in, like, a post-Turnstile world where, you know, hardcore bands are bands that, like, can be... They don't even sound like Turnstile, but if, like, they are kind of in that similar lane, they're going to get signed to you know, major labels, like I think Brendan Yates is going to do like a bunch of rap guest spots, kind of in the same way that like Kevin Parker from Tame Impala was the guy you'd bring on, like, you know, if like you were ASAP Rocky or Travis Scott to like say that you were like men, you know, you were trying to, you know, be this like polyglot genius, Um, you know, already like Military Gun is on Loma Vista, which is like the label that has like St. Vincent um, and such. And you know, I think also some other hardcore bands are going to see something similar, maybe like, you know, Anxious or things of that nature. But, you know, I really don't think we've seen Turnstile hit their peak, um, which means that, you know, at maybe after the Blink-182 tour, maybe they do SNL, I think we're going to see like some real, like, you know, kind of uh, so, like this band's clearly inspired by Turnstile and then possibly some Turnstile backlash. Like some, not just like, oh, these like hardcore dudes, like, yo, they, they, they sound like they're on the radio. Fuck them. Like, I think we're going to 
maybe start to see some turnstile backlash in the same way that we see, you know, maybe some like Phoebe Bridgers type backlash where people do it just to do it. Um, I'm just like thinking about like backlash in general, you know, cause like, I'm like wondering like what indie artists, you know, that are due to drop in 2023 are going to like finally get, you know, moved on from like, I'm thinking like I came with like us girls and Eve's tumor, like those two, I don't know what came, brought those to mind, but Again, yeah, I, th- I thought we were going to keep things positive, but this is go- this is tilting in a more uh, negative bent. Yeah, I mean, the, the backlash thing is interesting because I remember when Turnstile put out uh, the record before Glow On, which was Time and Space in, in 2018. And I remember I was a fan of that record, and I interviewed uh, Brendan at the time for that record. But that album was not critically acclaimed. I, and it really wasn't until Glow On that they became the sort of rock band du jour. And that, of course, coincided with them having this commercial breakthrough. Um, like, when you were talking about this, it made me think about Nirvana <laughs> and how, like, when Nirvana hit big in the early 90s and how the people who loved Nirvana, they didn't automatically love, like, the Melvins yeah. or Mud Honey, you know? And it's pretty obvious why they didn't because Nirvana songs were catchy and melodic and uh, pretty. And a lot of the other bands that kind of followed in their wake were not, they didn't have those qualities. And I, I think that there's a corollary there with Turnstile where I don't think the success of Turnstile means that people want to hear a bunch of hardcore bands. <laughs> yeah. And when I say people, I mean like, you know, mainstream listeners, people on the radio, that kind of stuff. I think the reason why Turnstile broke through is pretty obvious is that they don't sound like a hardcore band. They sound, to me, really like a 90s alternative rock band. And Brendan Yates, like, he doesn't sound like a hardcore singer. He has, like, a nice-sounding voice that, like, if you have never listened to a hardcore record before, you can listen to Turnstile, and it makes sense on the radio between, you know, what, Avenged Sevenfold and... (laughs) Theory of a Dead Man songs, you know what yeah, I mean? No like, shots at turn, no shots at Turnstile, by the way. But like, well, you're right, you're cor- absolutely correct. And you can't say that about most hardcore bands. I mean, hardcore by design is not supposed to be mainstream music. So I don't know. I I think you're right. I could see a lot of bands getting signed, but I I, I if they're not like Turnstile, I don't think that they're gonna be Turnstile. I don't think they're gonna have that kind of success. For the same reason that, like, the bands that followed Nirvana, not formed after them, but, like, were signed after them and maybe got more mainstream exposure, like, they didn't break through like Nirvana did. You know, there's a reason why these bands break through. And it's usually the bands that make, like, the catchiest music. Like, they're the ones that end up being, like, the crossover band. I think my, like, the... Uh, just to kind of square the circle my prediction is that we're going to see like industry plant type bands that sound like turnstile that's that's what i'm predicting well i'm a you know hey we're we're always a fan of those yes (laughs) you know if there's like a really kind of fun and catchy just band that's like totally crass you know like a very obvious industry plant band but like they're like the jet you know, of turnstile world, you know, or, you know, the Stone Temple Pilots of turn of turnstile <laughs> world, I'll probably end up being a fan of that band. I, you know, just the super catchy, trashy turnstile ripoff. I could totally get into that. Um, my second prediction is that at some point this year, probably later in the year, Jack Antonoff will go on his Instagram and he will post a photo of him in the studio working with Mitski. This will be the latest female indie star that Jack Antonoff will work with. And it's a weird thing to make this prediction because I feel like it already happened. That's how obvious <laughs> this seems to me. But it hasn't happened yet. And in a way, I feel like as sick to death as I am of hearing Jack Antonoff productions at this point... It does make sense for this to happen because with Laurel Hell, like my criticism of that record is related to the production. To me, that sounded like a record where where Mitski was really embracing being a pop star. And she was trying to make like this sort of bigger sounding record. Now, for a lot of people, she succeeded because that record did well. Mm -hmm. But I do think that for me, I thought the production was kind of thin and even like a little lame. 
you know, like like comparing what that record sounds like to like actual pop records, you know, it, it just felt a little small time. So I, I feel like as she transitions in this direction and she's already clearly a big star, I can't picture a world where this doesn't happen. <laughs> At least on like, there's going to be like a couple songs here and there that Jack Antonoff is involved in, if not a full-fledged album. But I, I, I would bank this for sure this year or at least next year that this will happen eventually. Yeah. I, I like when you put this down, I'm like, wait a minute. Like I remember a kind of small little backlash to like Laurel hell that led me to believe that Jack Antonoff was actually on that record. So yeah, this was like total, like man, this is total Streisand effect going on here. But you know, we, what we've seen, I think a couple days ago was like Jack Antonoff playing guitar on, uh, something that was posted on Japanese Breakfast uh, Instagram. So, you know, in between playing every single festival on planet Earth, I guess the, you know, Japanese Breakfast collabed with Jack Antonoff. And, you know, what I'm wondering, like what I'm hoping for in 2023 is that, you know, because Jack can't, you know, collect them all. Like if there's like this B-level Jack Antonoff that emerges from like the same kind of scene to like work with all of like the artists that get signed because they kind of sound like uh, Japanese Breakfast or Mitski. Like how back in the day, if you couldn't get like Nigel Godrich, you'd hire like Tony Hoffer or like if you didn't have, couldn't get like a Swiss Beats beat, you get like Nokio from Drew Hill. Like who's gonna, who, who like can Jack Antonoff like franchise out like, uh, you know, just kind of farm team type shit? I mean, you could argue that like Dan Nagro from like As Tall as Lions. Was that dude? But I mean, he's working with like Olivia Rodrigo and whatnot. So I mean, he's definitely not B level. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely a lane there for some other, you know, sensitive male music producer to step in. Um, but I don't know. Antonov needs to take five. I think at this point, take five, man. You gotta like. Even he has to be sick of hearing <laughs> his productions on the, you know. At every major pop record by a female artist. I mean, it's become such a terrible cliche at this point. But uh, anyway. Or maybe he just pivots. Rock it in. Maybe he just pivots to Dude's Rock in 2023, you know? Maybe he produces the next Japan Droids record. Because <laughs> we know he likes wearing leather jackets. That's true. So, so he's already halfway there. Yeah, boy, we're, we're definitely not getting new Japan Droids in 2023. That's a prediction you can no. fucking put in stone. Oh yeah, no, no, no question about that. What is your final prediction? All right, so um, this one, I got kind of scooped on this one. There was an article that posted in uh, the New Yorker the other day about the return of Voxtrot, and I had already kind of thought that you know blog rock was going to be the new indie sleaze, and by that I mean it's a trend that's not actually a trend, but you see people talking about it, particularly in the New York media, as if it's a trend. Now, like, I, it's not that, like, I think that people are, I don't know, just pining for the glory days of, like, the sound team or what have you. But I think there's as always this lane, particularly with TikTok, to, I don't know, just nostalgize. That's not a real word, but you know what I mean. Uh, anything that happened, like, 20 years ago. I mean, you look at, like, when we were young last year. Um, and... Maybe it's not blog rock that I'm looking to see come back, like not come back, but just be reassessed. This is also largely influenced by the fact I'm watching Lost for the first time. Um, you know, which came oh out, man, yeah, it came out in twenty uh, two thousand four. So uh, just watching this show, even it takes place on an island, I still get this visceral like oh right this is what people look like in 2004 i think this maybe it's not blog rock but the second bush term is going to be ripe for reassessment not just like blog rock but like the darkness maybe or like maybe early kings of leon like molly's chambers becomes a tiktok hit um wolf mother i just really think that like 2004 to 2008 this kind of like lost era no, no pun intended. I, I didn't think of that before. It's just we're going to see these strange attempts to make it a thing again. And, you know, I'm all for well, it. Yeah. I, I, I fucking love that shit. So, you know, I welcome it. Yeah, I mean, it. I, we were we were talking in a recent episode about a when we were young type festival for blog rock. So you'd have like clap your hands, say, yeah, and the black mm -hmm. kids. And, uh, you know, I don't know. 
trying to think of other black right like we love we you always Boris love Yeltsin. you Boris Yeltsin I already mentioned the sound team the sound team are the best man I, I love I love the bands that like broke up as soon as they got even the slightest amount of scrutiny outside of like the blog you know blogosphere which is a word I haven't said out loud and god knows how fucking long a friend of mine and this is a friend, even though he, he likes to torture me. He sent me a video clip of Pomplamoose. Remember Pomplamoose? I fucking remember Pomplamoose. <laughs> and like how they uh, uh, they did that commercial. I forget for which car company, but it probably was probably Volkswagen. Uh, like it seems they seem like a Vol- that seems like a Volkswagen thing to do. And that was 2011. I, and I feel like that was the last time that indie rock or anything sort of you know that scans as indie was used to sell cars. You know, that was probably about the end of that because that happened a lot in the 2000s, spills over into the early 2010s, and then the next Volkswagen commercial was probably like some Skrillex ripoff, you know? Again, that was like the, the changing of the guard. Turnstile's Holiday is going to be in a car commercial in 2023. That's a, that, it's like, tri- it's not just Taco Bell. We're going to see like Holiday sell a car. I, I predict that in 2023. Um, Getting back to the blog rock thing, you know, I think that there's nostalgia for that era of music because now we have people that were in their 20s at the time and now they're like in their mid 30s and maybe they've knocked out a kid by now and they're feeling a little old, looking at 40, wondering, you know, what is my life going to be over? (laughs) So, so that's why we have like nostalgia for Voxtrot, which I never thought would happen, but it just goes to show. Any band that you loved when you're 22, that they're going to come back at, at, at some point. I think there's also nostalgia for that era of the internet, yes. which is right before social media really took hold, where it just seemed way more wide open than it does now. You know, it, the internet seems so much smaller now than it did then. I remember back then having a list of different websites I would the go blog to. Blog roll. And it was like 20 websites <laughs> and you're just going to one by one and you just scan it like, you know, it'd be like having a stack of magazines and you're just paging through all these things. And now, you know, you're just being spoon fed by your social media platform, all, all, of, all of your links. So I think there's something to that as well when people talk about this. I mean, it should be noted there still are music blogs out there, mm-hmm. of course. But when we talk about blog rock, and we should also mention... That this New Yorker article, it, it quoted both of us. Yes. In this, uh, so we you didn't mention that. Yeah, we gotta mm-hmm. we gotta say, hey, New Yorker, citing us as experts. Uh, they mentioned you by name, and they mentioned me. They put well, they like- <laughs> see, that's what happens. That's what happens when you write for Pitchfork because Pitch because Pitchfork has the institutional voice, so everyone is just Pitchfork. Yeah. But I my thing was for Grantland, mm-hmm. which I wrote nine years ago. That's crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, I'd like to see those bands come back. You know, give them, give them a. You know, that's a very indie cast development. Yeah, I, if we have I, some blog, I just rock. love the fact that like Bishop Allen, which is maybe a little bit late blog <laughs> rock, like one of those dudes ended up like founding OK Cupid or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So like all these guys, I'm sure they work like fucking like decent tech jobs. One of those dudes in Bishop Allen was in this mumblecore movie. Yes, that was black and white. What was that uh, called? Fuck. Like Rude Awakening or yeah, something like that? I'm not as good of a remember some guys thing when it comes to Mumblecore movies. Uh, anyway, let's get to my last prediction here. And this, you know, I said this at the beginning that I felt really confident about two of my predictions. And there are two things that I think will happen, not necessarily what I want to happen. This last one, it's mostly what I want to happen, but I can justify it with why I think it could happen. Though it's again, it's the one I'm least confident about, but I don't know, maybe we can actualize it on this show. <laughs> Would be the first time. This will be the this will be the year that finally one of the bands that's been broken up that I, I would call this maybe the number one reunion that people want. I can't think of another I mean there's other reunions maybe that people would like too, but they're not very realistic. Like, you know, there's still people out there that want the Smiths to get back together. That's never going to happen. Or like the Talking Heads or something. Mm-hmm. This is something that I think should happen. 
and probably will happen because the money involved will be astronomical and the two main parties, they're not really doing anything great on their own. Everyone just wants them to get back together. And, and they're a band that remains to be very popular to this day. Younger generations have embraced them because of a recent documentary. And there's really no band like them right now. They're, they kind of are cut from a classic cloth. The band I'm talking about, of course, is Oasis. Reunion tour, baby. They're going to announce it this year. And the reason I say that is because in 1994, that's when their first record comes out, be the 30th anniversary of that record in 2024. So I'm saying they announced the tour this year and they go on tour next year. Noel and Liam, they keep the peace by flying on separate private jets to every show. They bring back Bonehead. <laughs> which guy is, is he the bassist or the, which, which, no, he's the bald guy. He's the, oh, yeah. he's, well, he's what the is guitar, he's he the rhythm play? guitarist. Oh, the guitar. Rhythm right. guitar. Gwigsy is the bass player. He's just like a super stoner. He's not coming back. <laughs> the drummers, they're going to bring, they should bring back Zach Starkey as the drummer. <laughs> he was like the drummer at the end. He's, he was the best drummer they ever had. And then this gets, they get some bass player. Uh, I think Andy Bell, was he playing bass at the end? Yeah. They had some guy from so, Ride who like, where? Yeah, yeah. Andy, it, I think he was playing bass. I don't think he was playing guitar. No. So, okay, so you keep the late period Oasis rhythm section. Noel and Liam, you bring back Bonehead. You got to have Bonehead. And, you know, maybe they do Glastonbury. They do like Five Nights at Wembley. They play New York and LA. Maybe some spots in between. Do multiple nights at Madison Square Garden. I think they could do that. Multiple nights at the Forum. Uh, Play Chicago so I can go. Why won't this happen? This has got to happen. Come on. There's got to be like a, hundreds of millions of dollars on the table for these guys. Just take the money and play Wonderwall. God damn it. I, I, I think about like all the people who are listening to this podcast who like go to work every single day despite having a coworker they despise for like far less mo- like far less money than o- on the table for Oasis. Like I just can't. Um, why hasn't this happened yet? Because when you look at like – it's Noel. Uh, Noel hates his brother so much. Liam would do it in yeah. a second. <laughs> these guys like it comes. These guys like being rock stars way too much to like. Yeah, it, it, it's like Noel. You're playing. You know what? Like you're, maybe he's maybe doing theaters in America. He's probably doing theaters in America, but he's definitely not doing arenas unless he's opening for like Smashing Pumpkins or something. Um, come on, yeah. man! Just do the goddamn tour. Like swallow your pride. It take a hundred million dollars or whatever is on the table. You're gonna make a ton of money, dude. Just do it, and let us, you know, experience this band again. I I, I really want this to happen. I think it could happen. I think it will happen. Now, I'm willing how, it into existence. Mu- like you can afford the amount of drugs it will take for you to like be okay with being on the stage, same stage as Liam. You know, Rage Against the Machine got back together. Are you more principled than Rage Against the Machine? Like, come the fuck on. Exactly. So. Again, I'm the least confident <laughs> in this prediction, but it's the one I most want to. Ha- it's the one I most want to come true. So fingers crossed. Oasis reunion, 2023, 2024. Let's get it done. Get your parkas ready. We've now reached the part of our episode that we call Recommendation Corner, where Ian and I talk about something that we're into this week. Uh, Before we get to that, we just wanted to do a quick tribute to two musicians who died while we were on break. Uh, Gangsta Boo of 3-6 Mafia passed away at the age of 43, and Jeremiah Green, the drummer for Modest Mouse, uh, he died at the age of 45. This is really sad, both great musicians, and like... Both young. Yeah. I mean, they seem young to me because they're around our age. Right. Uh, you, know, <laughs> you just feel like they both had a lot of life and music ahead yeah. of them. You know, the wildest thing is that, you know, not just that they're our age, but they're artists who defined my listening in college, which means that, like, they were teenagers when they made, like, Lonesome Crowded West and Tear the Club Up. Like, just mind-blowing to think about. Yeah, they had, I mean, they, yeah, it's just amazing that they, like, yeah, they, they, they kind of defined a generation uh, 
with their music in the, the, the like barely out of high school like when they made those records um what record do you want to recommend this week? Yeah, so I mean, if this uh, we're we're our next episode is uh, like our most anticipated albums for 2023, and this might have been on there had it not dropped like literally on New Year's Day. Uh, it's a band called Fireworks. Um, if you're not familiar with them, they kind of emerge out of that like Sidekicks Wonder Years like thinking person pop punk uh, sort of world, um, and they've been promising this album Higher Lonely Power for like at least three years. Like this has been kind of a a meme where it's like, yeah, it's never going to come out, whatever. Uh, they dropped it on New Year's Day. I did an interview with them at Stereo Gum. I fucking love this record. Um, it kind of, it, you know, it barely sounds like pop punk, but you could tell it came from this world. But it, it more, it makes me almost think of like Titus Andronicus, you know, early Titus Andronicus in a way where it's, you know, there's a pop punk element, but like also big swing indie rock. Like some of it sounds like Arcade Fire. Some of it sounds like maybe like Titus Andronicus, you know, parts of it are remind me of Death Cab, but like it really has its own sort of sophistication and uh, worldview to it. Um, if you like albums about 9-11, about like ex-evangelical Christianity, uh, about Midwestern yearning, if you like the Gang of Youths record, you know, from last year, which if you listen to this podcast, I imagine you do, uh, Higher Lonely Power, check it out. And besides, like, what the fuck else do you have to listen to in 2023? Well, I have a suggestion for something else you could listen to. It's a new live record from an artist named Zach Bryan. And uh, I was a big fan of the record he put out last year called American Heartbreak. And he is a burgeoning superstar mm-hmm. at this point. He's a country artist, but I think he has a lot of crossover for people that are just into like rootsy Americana type music. Like if you are a Jason Isbell fan or you like Sturgill Simpson, like this guy is sort of like the next in line in that lane. And uh, American Heartbreak, I mean, it's like a 34 song record. So I'm still digging through that album and finding new favorite songs. But this live album that he puts out, which, by the way, has an amazing title. It's called All My Homies Hate Ticketmaster. <laughs> and uh, this might even be a better introduction because it's a little more bite-sized. It's really like the best songs that he's put out so far. And it's recorded uh, live. It was, it was recorded at a concert at Red Rocks. And I don't know if there were like flaming torches there, like, like when U2 did Under a Blood Red Sky <laughs> at Red Rocks. But what's amazing about this album is one the performances are really great and energetic and again it really kind of functions as almost like a greatest hits album for what he's done so far because along with american heartbreak he also has like a lot of other songs that he's put out online various eps there's like a lot of material uh but what really blew me away listening to this record is the devotion of his audience like this is a big audience and you hear them like just belting the lyrics back to him like oftentimes he just stops singing and you could just hear this crowd with him and energetically singing along. It's almost like a dashboard confessional <laughs> type concert. I bet he'd you like know? that it, comparison. Absolutely. It's like, it, it, it's such an infectious listen. And again, if you haven't listened to this guy yet, I think that this record would be a good introduction uh, to his music. And uh, there's a lot to dive into. So again, Zach Bryan, all my homies hate, hate Ticketmaster, new live record. Go check it out. Uh, we are about out of time here on IndieCast. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with more news and reviews and hashing out trends next week. And if you're looking for more music recommendations, sign up for the Indie Mixtape Newsletter. You can go to uprocks.com backslash indie, and I recommend five albums per week, and we'll send it directly to your email box. (laughs) 